Welcome to Where Will You Go, the FBC Tullahoma Missions podcast, where we ask our members and our listeners the simple question, where will you go as we seek to advance the gospel message of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God from here to the least reached peoples on planet Earth today in the pod we have with us again, Trevor Johnson. If you missed that last episode, you need to go back and listen to it before you dive into this one. You're not going to want to miss this. We hope you will stick around. Well, Trevor, welcome back to the pod. Thank you for sticking around with us today. Uh, for those who may not have obeyed my clear instructions to go back and listen to the last episode before listening to this one, uh, Trevor um, is has been in Papua, Indonesia for almost two decades. Tell us real briefly again about your family, your wife, your kids, and um, how you got there. Yep, I'm a middle-aged guy. 46, married 22 years, four kids, and we went to Papua in 2004, and I got so sick we had to leave in 2018, Uh, but from afar, we've seen the ministry grow even in my absence, and so we praise God for that. A lot of victories that we talked about last time of how God's working and moving in Papua. This is a little bit of a side note, but I don't even know if you know how I found you. Or knew who you were, and it's kind of odd because the first person I met in this in this work was Paul, and Paul wouldn't know me if I walked up to him right now. Um, he was at a conference, I want to say, in Wheaton, Illinois, back in '08. Yes, maybe. Wheaton. Yeah, and I picked. I, I went by the the table he had there and stopped, probably because he's better looking than you. I don't know if you'd have been there. I may not have stopped, but he was there. I stopped. I picked up this video, and I guess the video was maybe a National Geographic film on the Treehouse people. And I watched it, or it may have been you, I don't know, it was, they were tracking through the mud and the leeches and the mosquitoes, and I, I watched that video, and I just said, this has to be the toughest place on planet Earth. And I've been in a lot of places in the world. And his first trip there, we stayed overnight in a treehouse, and a rat came down from the poles and bit him on the leg. Oh, nice. Welcome. Caused a great infection, <laughs> rat bite fever, mm. and uh, so he was sick as a dog, and that was God's confirming voice. Oh, really? <laughs> so it takes a special kind of person to uh, have rat bite fever, and that makes you even more enthusiastic right. to serve. No doubt about it. And I'm just saying the tree houses would be too much for me. I, I don't see how I could sleep in one. I don't know how I could get up mm. in one. If I ever got in one, I don't know if I could get down. I think the. I don't sleep in many of them. Um, I'm, right now I'm 240 pounds. And I usually weighed about 210, so I often built a platform underneath the treehouse until I had a dog. I thought it was raining at night, and uh, oh. <laughs> that, that became a favorite story. No, it wasn't raining, huh? <laughs> Some of the evangelists loved to tell that. They used it as an example of, of me trekking, and <laughs> I remember in a town church, and they stood up and gave their testimony of, uh, the dog peeing at me at uh, peeing on me at <laughs> night um, because we were going to trek to to uh, treat a very sick person, mm. and uh, they used it as a example of devotion that mm. I would be peed on by a dog for the sake of the gospel. <laughs> but I I had not planned on it. <laughs> Was it you that told me when you did sleep in a treehouse you hug the center pole and just hang on tight? Yes, I would hug the center pole. Um, even though it broke taboos, they have a male and a female side, but I always took the side right over the biggest tree. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the first tree houses I slept in, in the middle of the night, I could hear something. It was 
one of the ladies sneaking over to to feel the hair on my arms. She thought I was sleeping. Mm. And then when I rolled over, she gave us gave a yelp. Ah. <laughs> caught, huh? <laughs> and uh, yeah, I caught her and she retreated back to the dark corner of the treehouse. And I'm assuming on YouTube, if you're interested and you're listening to this, you're like, who who was he ministering to? Where was he? I think you can still go on YouTube and just type in treehouse people and yeah. probably find plenty There's of There's a whole load of misinformation because mm-hmm. uh, the BBC and the National Geographic were outed because they were paying the Korowai money to build extra tall treehouses. Mm. But we've always tried to avoid the sensationalism. You know, the trees are usually 20, 30 f- foot off the ground, mm. but... Uh, that's they'll, plenty, huh? they'll specially make some for over a hundred feet. So, wow. so the pictures in the National Geographic are those specially made tree houses. Mm-hmm. Is there a specific video you would say, "Hey, this was a good one to Google and watch," or just use discretion? I would use discretion. Okay. Anything by a white anthropologist is probably full of baloney. <laughs> um, there are a few Indonesian videos put out by the church, but those are sometimes infected by the sensationalism as well. Um, but yes, they are the treehouse people, and they do live in treehouses, but not like in the National Geographic. And they live in treehouses not to avoid dogs peeing on them, yep. or necessarily bugs. But why would they build? Why would they climb up to a treehouse if you know what reason do they have? Because of animism, the people fear animism. Animism is the belief that the world is is a full of spirits that affect your life and you need to keep right with the spirits there are places of power the spirits live in inanimate objects trees and springs and uh, they also fear witches Mm. they fear the atwa and uh kind of like uh, what we got the walking dead or whatever the zombie movies Mm -hmm. on they fear something kind of like zombies there Mm. and so tree houses are built with anti-witch repellent as part of their construction Okay. It's worked into the construction of each treehouse. Nice. So, you know, you think about our context, and this is totally off topic from where we're going, but you just think about the blessing of the gospel that we understand that death comes by sin and sin by one man named Adam. So sin entered the world through Adam, and from Adam comes death, sickness, sorrow, pain, and that affects our worldview to the point where the gospel answers that question. But if you're in that context... Sickness, sorrow, death can often be attributed when you don't have that sin concept to, well, it has to be sorcery. It has to be a witch. It has to be something demonic that caused this in me. Yes. We take the germ theory of disease for granted. Mm. You know, wash your hands so you don't get sick. Don't cough on somebody so you don't get sick. But we have to remember that even in the West, we had the vapor Mm -hmm. theory of illness up to just 150 or 200 years ago in the time of Florence Nightingale. You know, people would get the vapors mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, I've been sick with malaria 24 times. What does malaria mean? Mal air. Mm. It means bad air because you got it near swamps where there was fetid, swampy air. Mm. Um, so the germ theory of disease is basically a new concept in the history of the world. But many of the tribes, if you get sick suddenly or die, it's got to be a curse mm. or it's got to be witchcraft. Mm. And so when there are people that, quickly get sick and die. In one case, the boy Yamis, his friends died. And before they died, they had a dream that he was a witch. And so the clan believed it. And they tied him up and they were discussing whether to drown him or strangle him or shoot him full of arrows. 
And Ionus, one of our evangelists, carried him hours through the jungle to our village where the evangelist, Jimmy Impairing, adopted him. Mm. And now he's going to school and he professes faith in Christ. And I believe he wants to go to Bible school. Wow. Um, but he almost died because of that uh, animistic worldview. Mm. So you mentioned malaria. I think that can lead us into a little bit of what we wanted to, to address today. Some of those low points in that ministry. You, you know, the blessings don't come without sorrows. And even Paul said, I'm always rejoicing, yet always sorrowful as well. And the, and the rejoicing and the sorrow can mingle and often do. And we talked about those victories last time. What are some of the low points in, in this work? Yeah, um, God always seems to put the two together. There are very few unadulterated joys in this life. Mm. Even your children, you hug them and you squeeze them, and even that kind of causes a sort of sorrow because you're cognizant that this time will soon pass. Right. Um, but even with the tragedies, we saw God working through that as well. You know, you... You have Obed, the tribal man, shot and left for dead with arrows, and the old pastor, Johannes Erlach, nurses them back together, and Obed learns Indonesian and helps translate the gospel. Mm. Or Condreas, our first believer, dies, but he witnesses to his friends, and most of his friends believe. Mm. Um, just things such as that. Um, but we have to remember that Christ called us to the cross and not a cushion, that the way of the world is through strength and power, but God's way is different. It's the way of the cross, and American Christianity often hates that. Mm. We want strength and health. Uh, if you're a sick missionary, it's hard to maintain support. Mm -hmm. um, people are very uncomfortable around the sick and the suffering, And but we have to remember that there is always a price for the spread of the gospel. And, you know, just generations ago, people would pack their belongings in their coffin. And the average lifespan was five years or less if you went to West Africa. And yet people still went. Mm -hmm. And churches still sent them. But now we have churches and organizations that are very risk averse. Mm -hmm. Maybe the problem, we have not fulfilled the Great Commission because maybe not enough of us have died mm. and we have forgotten the cost. And if you suffer, people often conclude that you're doing something wrong. Mm -hmm. Oh, you've had malaria 24 times. You must not be using a mosquito net mm -hmm. or let me get you some DEET or this repellent. <laughs> what are you doing wrong? Mm -hmm. It's, well, I'm living in a swamp. Right. <laughs> you know, it's the, what, Wall Street folks, you know, it's the price of doing business. Mm -hmm. There is a cost. It's right. just, I'm 46. I'm an old man in some villages. Mm -hmm. And I said in the service before, I have a group photo uh, from about 12 or 14 years ago. And there's about a dozen young men in that photo, 12, 14, 16, 18 years old. Every single one of those young men are now dead, except for one that we shipped out to town for mm -hmm. education. Goodness. And so it's the cost of doing business, and we have forgotten the cost. Well, we're going to get you to tell us how you have been sick and, and what that's done to you and, and how it's led you to where you are now. But first, I want to remind our people 
of the book of the month, which is the autobiography of John Payton. If you've not picked up the autobiography of John Payton, he was a missionary to the New Hebrides. It is a challenging book. It causes you to think about your own personal commitment to Christ and walk with Christ, your family dynamic, and the call of missions, the command to get the Great Commission, the gospel message to the least reached peoples on the planet. John Payton gave his energy, resources, life, and family for that cause. And I'd encourage you to pick it up and read it if you've not done that. If you're looking for a good biography, the autobiography of John Payton is a good one to pick up. All right, today in the pod, we're interviewing Trevor Johnson again. We're talking about today some of the difficulties of being a missionary in the swamp, in a place like Papua, Indonesia, where the, there's a lot of mosquitoes and leeches and sicknesses. And um, Trevor, you, you mentioned you've had malaria. Tell us about the illnesses and the physical challenges that you faced in Papua. Yes, my wife had chikungunya our first term, and that often paralyzes your lower limbs for quite a while. Um, she was unable to walk for a good number of days. And because of that, uh, we had a miscarriage, and our first term ended with us hurriedly seeking help in Singapore. And just an hour or so after we arrived in Singapore with access to good treatment, she began to hemorrhage and almost bled to death in the back of the taxi cab on the way to the hospital. Mm. And... Uh, the next term, I had dengue fever, and worst physical pain up till this present illness that I had ever felt, hallucinations. Hmm. I read folks that have talked about LSD trips or whatnot. <laughs> I got all that for free, hmm. and it was very strange, and I don't remember m many days after that. I've had malaria 24 times when I left. My liver, spleen, and gallbladder were swollen. We were also fighting illegal mining upriver from us, and they were dumping mercury in the river. And, uh, you know, some churches maybe thought I was distracted from the gospel, and mm -hmm. I got criticized for fighting this illegal gold mine, but they were poisoned in the water. And if you love the people, you want to save them from that. Mm -hmm. And I had high levels of mercury in my blood. On MRI, I had a spot in my brain, possibly... Mm -hmm from the mercury. And so I can't imagine what, you know, are the babies and the children okay from that? Mm. And then I had four other parasites at the same time, including strong eloidiasis, which if it proliferates, it can have up to a 90% mortality rate. So I just got hammered and it was probably case number 20 to 24 of malaria. My spleen just swelled bigger every time. And I, I you know, eventually... Um, the doctor said uh, my spleen might eventually bust and I might die. And but you always you don't want to throw in the towel. You know, if I get over that, my spleen will get smaller and I can maybe have a few more monks. And maybe it won't swell next time, but the next time it swells bigger. And uh, in 2018, it just got too bad, and and uh, we were in the middle of a vaccination program. All but two villages were left. Some government nurses graciously took over those last two villages, and and we the kids packed up what they could fit in a backpack, and we left. That last Sunday, we had 24 baptized believers before I left, so 
that's a high note, but it's hard to celebrate when you can barely stand mm. and when you're writhing in pain. <clears throat> and uh, I could not sleep. I could feel my the weight of my liver. I don't know if it was the actual weight or just the psychological effect of knowing that your liver is that distended. Mm. But I would lay on my back and feel like a boulder was sitting on my stomach. And so I couldn't sleep. I beat my head against the tile floor trying to knock myself out just mm. to get some rest. And then after that, there were many months of extreme pain, extreme fatigue, not able to think clearly. And uh, at that same time, I had Russian journalists visit my area and uh, they saw some of the empty abandoned houses in the treehouse clusters because the people had come to the village too and they'd built another house in the village and because grubworm feast houses are used once and then left. But he didn't know that and he basically accused me of cultural genocide. Mm. So I'm laying there sick and I think I find out I'm literally Hitler. Mm. <laughs> so you have physical pain and then you have the psychological effects of illness and uh, opposition to the work as well. Mm. So unpleasant, and then and now that's been two years or two and a half years now. Yes, we're twenty twenty one, and you've been trying to recover. Yes, trying to recover. Last year was the worst year of my life, mm. and yet God still expanded the ministry despite my pain, and I fell into a deep depression because if you have severe and chronic pain, you tend to get depressed, mm -hmm. and if you're a missionary or a pastor, or a church member, that's a dicey issue. Mm -hmm. And many people will offer platitudes, some will offer sympathy, some will offer judgment, but Christians can be depressed too, often for good reason. Mm -hmm. I actually think depression is a logical outcome. You see the world in its fallenness, how can that fallenness not affect you at least some of the time? Jesus was a man of sorrows, not giggles. Yes. I and mean, the Bible never says Jesus laughed one time, but it says he wept. Yeah. So. And so now I'm recovering. I'm able to travel. Um, you know, people treat a sick man different than a strong and healthy man. Mm -hmm. And that's been a shock to me. Very disconcerting. Um, I had a lot of anger about it. You come back and, uh, I would dry heave and vomit at loud noises. Even the background noise of crowds, you know, loud piano players in church. I'd, <laughs> I would sit in the cry room mm. and people would look at you strangely because your symptoms were very strange, especially if you're dealing with parasites. And uh, some would try to offer comfort, but maybe not in a well thought out manner. It seemed like empty platitudes. Um, and then sometimes people would ask you, what kind of secret sin do you have mm -hmm. that God would be afflicting you with this? Or what did you do wrong? Why did you get malaria 24 times? Or, uh, and that, that can really weigh on you as well. And I used to not like the book of Job. Mm -hmm. What is it, 42 chapters, long dialogues. <laughs> mm -hmm. And now I see the use because... I hate to say, but many people, unless you've really suffered, 
some people are very poor comforters. Mm-hmm. And instead of a glass of cold water to give to the thirsty, um, they kind of heap judgment or, or criticism upon the sick, mm-hmm. especially the depressed. And with sickness as well, sometimes your filter goes. Mm-hmm. Your diplomacy goes, you get grumpy, and it's a platitude. And it is a true platitude. In the long term, God improves the saved through illness, but that's the long term. Short term, few people are improved by illness. It takes some working through. Mm. And I trust that God will make me gentler because of it. But uh, the first phases of my illness, I was not gentle. Um, I was discontent. Um, I saw the different way in which people looked at me. Oh, you can't serve now. Mm. You have to come home. Um, And I longed to be useful. And I didn't want to leave the place that I loved. And I can throw up in Asia just as well as I can throw (laughs) up in Tennessee, right? Mm -hmm. And... uh, so their sanctification is very painful, and it doesn't happen all at once. And it's like a river. Sometimes those rivers in Papua, they kind of turn back on themselves, and they seem like they're going all different directions, but it's always leading towards uh, the mouth, right? Mm-hmm. And that's how our sanctification is as well. Mm. But it's not been a pleasant year for me last year, but I can see the light, mm. and I'm traveling um, I think talking to some churches, it's painful, but it's almost like a therapy for mm-hmm. me as well. And then you have more people praying for you the more you share. And, you know, we pray for you regularly. I pray for you virtually every day, and uh, Paul and Trish as well. Uh, but, you know, we're almost out of time. But I just think as a teaching point, this might be a good time. You may not have an answer. You may not know. You may, you may just say, I don't know. But as you think through suffering, what is the best medicine? You know, you have people offering you essential oils or trying to correct you or trying to find what's wrong or treating you different. But as a Christian, when a brother like you has come home and he's, and he's suffered, he's given his health, what's the proper response to someone in the, in the midst of suffering? I have several thoughts. And the first thought would just give them space. Um. You know, I've talked to people that were sick, even with food allergies, and you go to a church potluck and you start asking what the ingredients are, mm-hmm. and you know, you you look, you stand out, and you look different. And, oh, what's what's their problem? What you know, why why are they asking for this gluten free this or that? And <laughs> I would say, give them space, extend extra grace to them. Um, I would also say that be careful with the platitudes. You know, we've heard it so many times, especially in reform circles, that God works through suffering. But we're here in America, and few people, you know, a lot of our suffering is our own fault. You know, mm-hmm. you get 350 pounds, and you're going to suffer eventually. Right. Um, but even that, not all suffering is caused by yourself or your poor choices. And it's easy to blame the sufferer as well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I obviously must have been doing something wrong to be this sick. What could I have done different? Um, But one lesson from suffering would be don't hyper-spiritualize everything. Go to God. Let Christ be the source of your comfort, but don't neglect the physical things. Getting outside in nature, 
seeing a tree, mm-hmm. uh, taking a walk, having a good meal, uh, hot or cold bath if you have parasites, ice baths help if you have parasites. Those physical treatments sometimes are very needed. And, uh, you know, music, good smells. There are, there are dozens of physical ways to help alleviate that. And um, just be a good friend to those that are in the midst of pain. And that doesn't mean that you have to have the best words to give them. Um, one good thing that Job's friends did for him was they sat there and shut their mouths for, I think it was seven days, wasn't it? It was well. <laughs> and the problem happened when they opened their mouths. Mm-hmm. So if you could just be there for somebody and sometimes keep your mouth shut, mm. that I think there's a lesson in that as well. That may be the biggest lesson of our day. Um, so, Trevor, as we think about you and where you are now, what can we pray for? What are some needs that you have that we can pray for as we yeah. wrap up our time? Well, in the ministry and for missionaries, there is a temptation to list all the successes and not to be very open about the struggles. But many pastors' families and missionaries' families suffer from adjustments. Mm-hmm. They have family problems. Mm-hmm. And my two oldest kids have gone through some adjustment issues. My son doesn't really remember America. He's coming home to a foreign country. Mm-hmm. And he had a lot of uh, adjustment issues trying to go to a school until he, a military school seemed to be the best fit for him. Those physical outlets, they got to roughhouse and fight around. And then my daughter is 14, and I guess all 14-year-old girls have a bit of drama, I've been told. <laughs> Um, but there has been some grieving and depression on her part as well. They were uprooted from their lives. Mm-hmm. And uh, pray for the family of your pastors and your missionaries. And sometimes they don't feel like they can disclose because you know, gotta their, be perfect. their financial support is yeah. on the line. That's right. You're the sick missionary with a depressed kid. Mm. We need to drop your support until you are fully restored or whatever the pious baloney that they speak. Or increase your support <laughs> would be the better, yeah, the I, better option. I had a supporter that when I got sick, he sent me $3,000 for vitamins and grass-fed beef. All right. I think he's my best friend. <laughs> and that did help. I'm sure. So Vitamins and grass-fed beef. Yeah. And he paid for it. He didn't just tell you to go get it. He paid for it. Yeah. <laughs> So we can pray for your family and adjusting. And what is what are your, some of your needs? Are you raising support? How much support do you need? Um, I know you could spend everything that you get because you're going to forward it a lot of it to Indonesia to the work there. But what do you need personally? When we were living in Malaysia, I could send about eighty five or ninety percent of everything to Papua. Wow. And in America, the prices go up every month. Mm-hmm. Beef is expensive now, right? Gas too. Yeah, gas as well. Um, but we are. The carpenters are now cutting wood for a teacher's house in Fuau Village. And we have land giving and a dorm parent in town. We just need to build the dorm building for those tribal kids that have finished basic schooling and now want to go to town for higher education. Mm. It would be lots of kids go astray in town. There's too many temptations. And so it would be very good to have a safe place for them to land under pastoral supervision as they get those uh, higher education needs met. Mm-hmm. 
So those are the two building projects okay. I'm involved in at present. And then we have about, we have several, we just hired two new teachers uh, last month. Okay. Well, let me pray for you, Trevor. Pray for these needs. And I thank you again for taking your time to be with us today. God, we thank you again for Trevor and for his family and for their work in Indonesia and also here. And God, for those that are there working even now, uh, teaching and sharing your word and educating the kids. God, we pray that you would continue to bless them. I pray that you would raise up supporters for Trevor and those that would encourage him financially uh, and his family financially and that would help to support not only his uh, his living but also the work in Indonesia, the, the dorm buildings, the building projects, the teachers that need support. God, we pray that you would just move on hearts to give. We pray for his family too, God. Um, Teenagers are hard. Teenagers who have to adjust to a new environment are harder. And we, we pray especially that you would bring comfort and encouragement to them and to help them in this time of difficulty to look to you, to draw near to you, the friend that sticks closer than a brother, the one who never changes. God, we pray that you would, uh, through this difficulty, that you would revive their hearts and draw them close to you and uh, solidify their relationship with you and use this in a way that would bring you glory and that would eventually prove for their good. God, we know that you're sovereign, you're in control, you are, you are at work even when we cannot see it. And God, I just pray that um, you would continue to work and to show yourself and show what you're doing and give glimpses of your providence to Trevor and his family in these days. And we'll thank you for it, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us, Trevor. And thank you for joining us today. I hope you've been challenged, encouraged, blessed, and have a renewed commitment to pray for Trevor, his family, and other missionaries that you may know. That's why we do that plus one prayer guide every single Sunday to keep you praying for the folks that we know and that we try to keep up with. Pick it up. Pray corporately for that. Check out our missions wall. Pick up our book of the month. I hope you will join us next time. Thank you for joining us today. God bless.